I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, 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 you found Leaves of Glen, where I read the hottest of public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week we'll continue to read The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus ah, by Frank Baum. It's a children's book uh, written in 1902 and illustrated by Mary Cowles Clark. I will know I will not be describing any of the illustrations to you. I'm not a pervert. Uh, normally I'd talk about the author or something, but no. I'm going to be selfish and talk about myself. Why? Because today, on this Sunday, is, uh, is my birthday. And uh, you think I'd be happy about that, but I'm not. I'm 47 years old, which is terrifying. I try to explain to my kids that uh, being a father or a parent in general is terrifying because you're in charge of a whole nother life. You don't just exist with them, you influence them, and you help them be a better person, hopefully better than you were yourself, and give them more opportunities, and uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the point is that you have the mind of, like, a 20-year-old still. Uh, sure, you take more naps, and uh, you think slower. You're not as quick on your feet as you used to be. Uh, your mind is kind of crap. It's like there's crap running through all the, the tunnels in your brain, but they're still there, the, stay, uh, the same just weird, dramatic, emo feelings, uh, the same just uh, knee-jerk reactions and opinions to things. That's the reason why you see an old, an old person, you think, oh, they're, they're cute and probably very wise. They're not. They're dumb. They're dumber than you are, as dumb and, but slower than you are. Uh, and also, weirdly, still into sex. My uncle is deep into his 70s and still uh, just a horny old man. And it's disturbing, so I like to think you, you move on beyond that because it's really, really annoying. But no, not for him. So how does this tie into being 47? Well, if you got the mind of a 20-year-old for the rest of your life, except you take more naps and you're slower and uh, you know, fatter and wrinklier and gray hairs. I got gray hairs. Like uh, Peter Parker's boss from Spider-Man, uh, which is weird because it makes you, you think, oh, well, he looks like he's some sort of military general and he's dynamic and, and commanding. No, I'm a twitchy, weird, uh, Woody Allen, pathetic, kind of gross person. Anyways, you suddenly wake up one day and you're like, ah, crap, I'm 40. And then you wake up the next day like, I'm 47 years old. I'm almost 50. And it just gets worse and accelerates because your mind is crap. I explain this to my kids, and oh, they laugh. And I say, cherish your time, you idiots. Because uh, you're just getting older, and life gets more complicated, but your mind stays the same. It's a lot like the vampires in Twilight. Oh, they live forever, but they're locked in the, the mentality and emotional uh, complexity of a 17-year-old. Uh, that's, that's how I feel as a 47-year-old. and So I like an idiot, decided I'm going to change out my thermostat. I'm going to put in a new one. So I did, and the colors from the directions said, uh, put the yellow in the one that says Y, and there's a slot that says G. Put the green wire in there, and uh, there's another one that says W, and that's for the white uh, colored wire. Put that in there. So I said, good, I got it. I dropped the instruction manual, and I went over, and I put them all in, and there's one that was blue, and there's a slot with the letter B, and I think... Fair enough, and I put it in there, and I shorted out my furnace in the basement. The transformer blew up. So, I've spent all weekend without any heat in my house, because I'm an idiot, and uh, I called a guy over, and he tried really hard to find a replacement part, but the furnace is so old, it's from the 70s, the early 70s, before I was born, 
that the guy said, uh, I don't know if we're going to find this part. So he looked for the part for a day or so and said, yeah, we can't find the part. Uh, we can come over and replace it for $3,000. I heard that today on my birthday. And I said, yeah, this is fitting. Uh, I am a, a crap person making crap decisions. And now I have to pay the price of crap. Well, it's Grandfather Clock keeping me from rambling for 20 minutes. So let's dive into the story. So this is going to be a long one, from what I can tell. Uh, We read the first part of the book, which was Youth, uh, the origins of a magical little man named Santa Claus. Or just Claus. I don't know. Whatever. So now we're reading the second half, which is called Manhood. Uh, We left off with him leaving the magic forest, uh, all the fairies and the nymphs, and uh, he moved to the Laughing Valley, which makes no sense. And uh, so that's where we're at now. Part one. The Laughing Valley. When Claus came, the valley was empty, save for the grass, the brook, the wildflowers, uh, the bees, and the butterflies. If he would make his home here and live after the fashion of men, he must have a house. This puzzled him at first. While he stood smiling in the sunshine, he suddenly found himself um, beside him, old Nelko, the servant of the master woodsman. Nelko bore an axe, uh, strong and broad, with a blade that gleamed like burnished silver. This he placed in the young man's hand, then disappeared without a word. Claus understood, and turning to the forest's edge, he selected a number of fallen tree trunks, which he began to clear of their dead branches. He would not cut into a a living tree. He's one of these kind of people. His life among the nymphs who guarded the forest had taught him that a, a live tree is sacred, eh, being a created thing endowed with feeling. But the dead and the falling trees, oh, it was different. They had fulfilled their destiny as active members of the forest community, and now it was fitting that their remains should minister to the needs of man. The axe bit deep <clears throat> into the logs at every stroke. That seemed to have the force of its own, and Claus had but to swing and guide it. When the shadows began creeping over the green hills to lie in the valley overnight, the young man had chopped many logs into equal lengths and proper shapes for building a house, such as he had seen the poorer classes of men inhabit. Then, resolving to await another day before he tried to fit the logs together, Claus uh, ate uh, some of the sweet roots, and he well knew how to find, drank deeply from the laughing brook, and lay down to sleep on the grass. First, seeking a spot where no flowers grew, lest the weight of his body should crush them. And while he slumbered and breathed in the perfume of the wondrous valley of the spirit of happiness, crept into his heart and drove out all terror and care of misgivings. Nevermore uh, would the face of Claus be clouded with anxieties. Nevermore would the trials of the weigh him down as uh, with a burden. The Laughing Valley had claimed him for its own. Would that we might live in that delightful place, exclamation point, but then maybe it would be become overcrowded. Ah, for ages it had awaited a tenant. Uh, was it chance? Isn't, isn't the animals that live there enough of a tenant? Is it? All right, fine. Was it chance that led young Claus to make his home in this happy vale? Or we may guess that his thoughtful friends, the immortals, had directed his steps when he wandered away from Burzee to seek home in the great world? Question mark. Is certain it is that while the moon appeared over the hilltop and flooded with its soft beams, the body of the sleeping stranger, the laughing valley, was filled with the queer, yeah, crooked shapes of the friendly nooks. These people spoke no words but worked with skill and swiftness. The logs Claus had trimmed with his uh, bright axe were carried to a spot beside the brook and fitted one upon another, and during the night a strong and roomy dwelling was built. Ah, The birds came sweeping into the valley at daybreak, and their songs, uh, so seldom heard in the deep wood, aroused the stranger. He rubbed the web of sleep from his eyelids and uh, looked around. Oh, the house met his gaze. 
Ah, I must thank the nooks for this, he said gratefully. Then he walked to his dwelling and entered at a doorway. A large room faced him, having a fireplace at the end and a a table and bench in the middle. Beside the fireplace was a cupboard. Uh, Another doorway was beyond, and Claus entered here also, and a smaller room with a a bed against the wall and and a stool set near a small stand. On the bed were many layers of dried moss uh, brought from the forest. Ah, indeed, it is a palace, exclaimed the smiling Claus. I, I must thank the, uh, the good nooks again for their knowledge of man's needs as well as for the labors in my behalf. Burp, he left his new home with a, with a glad feeling that he was not quite alone in the world, although he had chosen to abandon the forest life yeah, friendships are not easily broken, and the immortals are everywhere. Upon reaching the brook, he drank of the pure water, and then sat down on the bank to, to laugh at the mischievous gambles and the ripples as they pushed one another against rocks or crowded desperately to see uh, which should first reach the turn beyond. Who sits by a creek and just, just laughs and rubs their knees? And as they raced away, he listened to the song they sang. Oh, they sing a song. Rushing, pushing, on we go. Uh, not a weave uh, may gently flow. Uh, all are too excited. Every drop delighted. Turns to spray in merry play as we, as we tumble on our way. Next, Claus searched for the roots to eat. While the daffodils turned their the little eyes up at him laughingly and lisped, lisped their dainty song. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing this with a lisp. Blooming fairly, growing rarely, never flowerets. Uh, flowerets? We're so gay. Ah, perfume, breathing, joy, bequeathing as our colors we display. Yeah, it made Claus laugh to hear the little things voice their happiness as they nodded gracefully on their side. Uh, he's an insane person. He's sitting by a creek, uh, laughing at how the water moves, and then he looks at the flowers and he's convinced they're singing with lisps and just giggling to himself and rubbing his belly. Uh, uh, but another strain caught his ear as the sunbeams fell gently across his face and whispered, Here is gladness that our rays warm the valley through the days. Here is happiness to give comfort uh, unto all uh, who live. Yes, cried Claus in answer. There is happiness and joy in all things here. The, the Laughing Valley is a valley of uh, the peace and goodwill. He passed the day talking with the ants and the beetles and exchanging uh, jokes with the light-hearted butterflies. Ugh. And uh, at night, he lay on his bed of soft moss and slept soundly. Uh, then came the fairies, merry uh, but noiseless, bringing skillets, and pots and dishes and pans and all the tools necessary to prepare food and to comfort a mortal. With these, they filled the cupboard and fireplace, finally placing a stout suit of wool clothing on the stool beside the bedside. Uh, when Klaus awoke, ah, he rubbed his eyes again and laughed. Uh, he's just constantly laughing at everything. And spoke aloud his thanks to the fairies, who probably weren't in the room, and the master woodsman who had sent them. Oh, you can hear my poor 22-year-old cat. Meowing. Or yowling or whatever. Uh, with eager joy, he examined all his new possessions, wondering uh, what some might be used for. But in the days when he had clung to the girdle of the great Ack and visited the cities of men, his eyes had been quick to note all the manners and customs of the race to which he belonged. So he guessed from the gifts brought by the fairies that the master expected him hereafter to live in the fashion of his fellow creatures. Uh, uh, Which means that I must plow the earth uh, and plant corn, he reflected, so that when winter comes, I shall have garnered food in plenty. But... As he stood in the grassy valley, he saw that to turn up the earth in furrows would be to destroy hundreds of pretty helpless flowers, as well as thousands of the tender blades of grass, and this he could not bear to do. Well, if he's this crazy person that won't hurt any plants, planting corn, aren't those all sentient things as well? Like, you'll plant them, then you can't cut them down and eat them. Then why don't you just eat the flowers you're scared to tear up? I, none of this makes any sense. Therefore, he stretched out his arms and uttered a peculiar uh, whistle while he had learned uh, in the forest afterward, crying, Riles of the field flowers, come to me! Instantly, 
a dozen of the queer little Riles were squatting upon the ground before him, and they nodded to him in cheerful greeting. Claus gazed upon them earnestly. You're uh, yeah, brothers of the forest, he said. I have known and loved for many years. Uh, and I shall love you also when we have become uh, friends. To me, the laws of the Riles, uh, whether those of the forest or the field, are sacred. I have never willfully destroyed one of the flowers you tend to so carefully, but I must plant grain to use for food during the cold winter. And how am I to do this without killing the little creatures that sing to me so prettily of their fragrant blossoms? The yellow rile who tends the buttercups made answer, Fred not, uh, Fred Claus, the great egg has spoken to us of you. Uh, there is better work for you in life than to labor for food, and though not being of the forest, Ack has no command over us. And nevertheless, uh, are we glad to favor one he loves? Live, therefore, to do the good work you are resolved to undertake. We, the, uh, the field riles, will attend to your food supplies. So he's just got slaves out there. He doesn't actually have to start out and live his own life. He's just got people out there doing all his work for him. After this speech, well, the Riles were no longer to be seen, and Claus drove from his mind the thought of tilling the earth. Uh, well, lucky him. Uh, when next he wandered back to his dwelling, a bowl of fresh milk stood upon the table. Oh, my God, he doesn't have to do anything. Bread was in the cupboard. Where did he get the milk from? Is this the lion that's constantly milking all over people? <laughs> Uh, so the cupboard and sweet honey filled a dish beside it. A pretty basket of rosy apples and new plucked grapes was also awaiting him. Ah, uh, he thanked out, uh, thanks, my friends, uh, to the invisible Riles, and straightway began to eat the food. Thereafter, when hungry, he had but to look in the cupboard to find goodly supplies brought by the kindly Riles. And the uh, and the nooks cut and stacked much wood for his fireplace. He doesn't even have to cut his own wood. Mm-hmm. And the fairies brought him warm blankets and clothing. I am about to start my house on fire. Just going to burn everything down to the ground. So began his life in the Laughing Valley with the favor and friendship of the immortals to minister to his every want. Part 2. How Claus Made the First Toy Truly, our Claus had wisdom. Does he? He doesn't do anything for himself. For his good fortune, but strengthened his resolve to befriend the little ones of his own race. He, wow, that's creepy. He knew his plan. It's just like, okay, I'm established. I got my own place. Now to talk to kids. Ugh. He knew his plan was approved by the immortals, else they would not have favored him so greatly. So he began at once to make acquaintance with mankind. I walked through the valley to the plain beyond and crossed the plain in many directions to reach the abodes of men. This is creepy. Uh, these stood singly, singly or in groups of dwellings called villages. And in the nearly all the houses, uh, whether big or little, Claus found children. This is going to a dark place. The youngsters soon came to know his merry laughing face and the kind glance of his bright eyes. And the parents, well, they regarded the young man with some scorn for loving children more than their elders. Well, probably different reasons than that, but okay. Were content that the girls and boys had found a playfellow who seemed willing to amuse them. Ugh. So the children romped, played games with Claus, ugh, and the boys rode upon his shoulders, and the girls nestled in his strong arms, ugh, and the babies clung fondly to his knees. Wherever the young man chanced to be, the sound of childish laughter followed him. And to understand this better, you must know that children were much neglected in those days, received little attention from their parents. That's like me growing up in the 70s. So that it became to them a, a marvel that so goodly a man as Claus devoted his time to making them happy. And those who knew him were, as you may be sure, very happy indeed. Not sad faces, the poor and abused grew bright for once, and the cripple smiled despite his misfortune, and uh, the ailing ones hushed their moans, and the grieved ones with their cries when their merry friend uh, came nigh to comfort them. Only at the beautiful palace of the Lord of Lerd, L-E-R-D, the Lord of Lerd, and at the frowning castle of Baron Braun was Claus uh, refused admittance. There were children at both places. 
But the servants at the palace shut the door in the young stranger's face. Yeah, because he's a pervert. And the fierce baron threatened to hang him from an iron hook on the castle walls. Whereupon, Claus... I feel like I've been saying Klaus again. Ugh, I'm never going to win this battle. Sighed and went back to the poor dwellings where he was welcomed. After a, a time in the winter drew near, the flowers lived out their lives and faded and disappeared. The, the beetles burrowed far into the warm earth. The butterflies deserted the meadows, and, and the voice of the brook uh, grew hoarse, as if it had taken cold. One day, uh, snowflakes burp, filled all the air in the Laughing Valley, dancing boisterously toward the earth and the clothing, and pure white raiment of the roof of Claus's uh, dwelling. At night, Jack Frost rapped at the door. Eh, come in, cried Claus. Come out, answered Jack, for you uh, have a fire inside. Yeah, so Claus came out. He had known Jack Frost in the forest and, and liked the jolly rogue, even while he mistrusted him. There will be a rare sport for me tonight, Claus, shouted the sprite. Isn't this a glorious weather? Oh, I shall nip scores of noses ah, ha, ha, and ears and toes before daybreak. Now, if you love me, Jack, spare the children, begged Claus. And why, asked the other in surprise. Oh, they are tender and helpless, answered Claus. But I love to nip the tender ones, declared Jack, another pervert, clearly. The older ones are tough and tire my fingers. Now the young ones are weak. Cannot fight you, said Claus. Eh, true, answered Jack thoughtfully. Well, I will not pinch a child this night. If I can resist the temptation, <laughs> he promised. Good night, Claus. Yeah, good night. The young man went in and closed the door. Jack Frost ran on to the nearest village. Claus uh, threw a log on the fire, which burned up brightly beside the hearth, said, Blinky, a big cat, gave him by Peter the Nook. Ah, her fur was soft and... and and glossy, and she purred, never-ending songs of contentment. I shall not see the children again soon, said Claus uh, to the cat, who kindly paused in her song to listen. Uh, the winter is upon us, and the snow will be deep for many days, and I shall be unable to play with my little friends. Now the cat raised a paw and stroked her nose thoughtfully, but made no reply. So long as the fire burned and Claus sat in his easy chair by the hearth, she did not mind the weather. So passed many days and many long evenings. The cupboard, oh, was always full, not by any of his labors, but uh, Claus became weary with having nothing to do. Yeah, because he doesn't do any work. Uh, more than to feed the fire from the big wood pile the nooks had brought for him. One evening, uh, he picked up a stick of wood and began to cut it with a sharp knife. He had no thought at first except to occupy his time. And he whistled uh, and sang to the cat as he carved away portions of the stick. Uh, Puss sat up on her haunches and watched him, listening at the same time to hear her master's merry whistle, uh, which she loved to hear even more than her own purring songs. Claus glanced at Puss and then at the stick he was whittling until presently the wood began to have a shape. And the shape was like the, the head of a cat. Uh, with two ears sticking upward. Uh, Claus stopped whistling to laugh. <laughs> and then both he and the cat looked at the wooden image in some surprise. Then he carved out the eyes uh, and the nose and rounded the lower part of the head so that it rested upon a, upon a neck. Uh, Puss hardly knew what to make of it now and sat up stiffly as if watching with some suspicion that would come next. Claus knew. Oh, the head gave him an idea. He plied his knife carefully and with skill, forming slowly the body of the cat, which made it to sit upon its haunches, as, as the real cat did, with her tail wound between her two front legs. The work cost him much time, but the evening was long, and he had nothing better to do. Finally, he gave a loud and, uh, and delighted laugh ah, at the result of his labors and placed the wooden cat, now completed, upon the hearth opposite the real one. Puss! Thereupon glared at the image, raised her hair in anger, nutted a defiant mew. The cat paid no attention. Uh, oh, the wooden cat, sorry, paid no attention. And Claus, much amused, uh, laughed again. <laughs> then 
Blinky advanced toward the wooden image to eye it closely and smell of it intelligently. Eyes and nose told her the creature was wood in spite of its natural appearance, so Puss resumed her seat and her purring. She sat nearly washed her face with her padded paw as she cast more than one admiring glance at her clever master. Perhaps she felt the same satisfaction we feel when we look upon good photographs of ourselves. What, do you stare at it like a narcissist? The cat's master was himself pleased. with a, Apparently this wooden cat is just making everyone real happy. Uh, with his handiwork, without knowing exactly why, indeed he had great cause to congratulate himself that night, and all the children throughout the world should have joined in him with rejoicing, for Claus had made his first toy. Part 3. I wish this one's shorter than the last one. How the Riles colored the toys. Ugh, God, this is so detailed. A hush lay on the Laughing Valley now. Snow covered it like a white spread. And pillows of downy flakes drifted before the dwelling where Claus sat feeding the blaze of the fire. The brook gurgled on beneath a heavy sheet of ice. And all living plants and insects nestled close to Mother Earth to keep warm. The face of the moon, burp, was hid by dark clouds. And the wind, delighting in the wintry sport pushed and whirled the snowflakes in so many directions that they could get no chance to fall to the ground. Claus heard the wind whistling and shrieking in his play and thanked the good nooks again for his comfortable shelter because he doesn't do anything. Blinky, who also doesn't do anything apparently, washed her face lazily and stared at the coals with a look of perfect content. The toy cat sat opposite the real one and gazed straight ahead, as toy cats should. Suddenly... Claus heard a noise that sounded different from the voice of the wind. Ah, it was more like a wail of suffering and despair. He stood up and listened, but the uh, wind, growing boisterous, uh, shook the door and rattled the windows to distract his attention. Ah, he waited until the wind was tired, and then, still listening, he heard once more the shrill cry of distress. Quickly, he drew on his coat, pulled his cap over his eyes, and opened the door. The wind dashed in and scattered the embers all over the hearth, and at the same time uh, blowing Blinky's fur oh, so furiously that she crept out of the table to escape. When the door was closed and Claus was outside, peering anxiously into the darkness, the wind laughed and scolded and tried to push him over, <laughs> but he stood firm. The helpless flakes stumbled against his eyes and dimmed his sight, but he rubbed them away and looked again. Snow! Snow was everywhere! White and glittering, it covered the earth and filled the air. The cry was not repeated. Claus turned to go back into the house, but the wind caught him unawares and stumbled and fell across the snowdrift. His hand plunged into the drift and touched something that was not snow. This he seized, and pulling it gently toward him, found it to, to be a child. Oh, this isn't good. The next moment he had lifted it in his arms and carried it into the house. The wind followed him through the door, but Claus shut it quickly. He laid the rescued child on the hearth and brushed away the snow. He discovered it uh, to be Weakum, ah, a little boy who lived in the house beyond the valley. Claus wrapped a warm blanket around the little one and uh, rubbed the frost from his limbs. Before long, the child opened his eyes and seeing where he was, oh, he smiled happily. And then Claus warmed milk, uh, more lion's milk, and fed it to the boy slowly while the cat looked on with sober curiosity. Finally, uh, the little one curled up in his friend's arms and sighed and fell asleep. And Claus, filled with gladness that he had found the wanderer, held him closely while he slumbered. The wind, finding no more mischief to do, climbed the hill and swept on toward the north. This gave the weary snowflakes time to settle down to earth and the valley became still again. The boy... Having slept well in the arms of his friend, Creepy, opened his eyes and sat up. Then, as the child will, he looked around the room and saw uh, that it contained... Saw all that it contained. Uh, your cat is a nice cat, Claus, he said at last. Let me hold it. But Puss objected and ran away. The other cat won't run, Claus, continued the boy. Let me hold that one. Claus paced the toy in his arms, and the boy held it lovingly and kissed the tip of its wooden ear. Uh, how'd you get lost in the storm, Weakum? asked Claus. I started to walk to my auntie's house and lost my way, answered Weakum. Yeah, were you, uh, were you frightened? Yeah, I was cold, said Weakum, and the snow got in my eyes so I could not see. Uh, then I 
kept on till I fell in the snow, not knowing where I was, and the wind blew the flakes over me and covered me up. Claus gently stroked his head, creepy, and the boy looked up at him and smiled. I'm all right now, said Weakum. Yes, replied Claus happily. Now I will put you in my warm bed, creepy, and you must sleep until morning, when I will carry you back to your mother. You could probably just walk. May the, may the cat sleep with me? asked the boy. Uh, yes, if you wish it to, answered Claus. Yeah, it's a nice cat, Weakum said, clearly not understanding things made of wood. As Claus tucked the blankets around him, and presently the little boy fell asleep with the wooden toy in his arms. When morning came, the sun claimed the Laughing Valley and flooded it with its rays, so Claus prepared to take the lost child back to his mother. Yeah, may, may I keep the cat, Claus? asked Weakum. It's nicer than the real cats. Yeah, it doesn't run away or scratch or bite. Yeah, may I keep it? Yes, indeed, answered Claus. Pleased that the boy had, yeah, he had made good give pleasure to the... Oh, the toy. That makes a lot more sense. Please, the toy he had made would give pleasure to the child. So he wrapped the boy and the wooden cat in a warm cloak, perching the bundle upon his own broad shoulders, and then he tramped through the snow and the drifts of the valley and across the plain beyond to the poor cottage where Weakum's mother lived. Uh, see, Mama, cried the boy as soon as they entered. I've, uh, I've got a cat. And the good woman wept tears of joy over the rescue of her darling and thanked Claus many times for his kind act. So he carried a warm and happy heart back to his home in the valley. That night he said to Puss, I believe the children will love the wooden cats almost as well as the real ones. They can't hurt them by pulling their tails and ears. I'll, uh, I'll make another. So this is the beginning of, the, of his great work. The next cat, oh, was better made than the first, which is going to be lame for Weakum. While Claus sat whittling it out of the yellow rile, came in to make, a, to make him a visit. And so pleased was he with the man's skill that he ran away and brought several of his fellows. There sat the red rile, and the black rile, uh, and the green rile, and the blue rile, and the yellow rile in a circle on the floor. While Claus whittled and whistled, eh, and the wooden cat grew into shape. If it could be made of the same color as a real cat, no one would know the difference, said the yellow rile thoughtfully. Ah, the little ones, maybe, would not know the difference, replied Claus, pleased with the idea. I will bring you some of the red that I color my roses and tulips with, cried the red rile, and then you can make the cat's uh, lips and, and tongue red. I will bring some of the green that I color my grasses and leaves with, said the green rile, and you can, you can color the, the cat's eyes green. Uh, They'll need a bit of yellow, also. <laughs> oh, the yellow rile is kind of like Aquaman, the most useless of all the superheroes. Like, you, you can't fight anyone unless they come out into the ocean. Like, come out into the water. Come fight me. That's what the yellow rile is right now. I must fetch up the yellow I can use to color my buttercups and goldenrods with. No, but they don't explain what you can use the yellow for. Because he's useless. But now, uh, the real cat is black, said the black rile. He's the Superman of all the uh, colored riles. I will bring some of that black that I use to color the eyes of my pansies uh, with, and you can, you can paint your wooden cat black. And I see you have a blue ribbon around Blinky's neck, added the blue rile. Oh, another useless rile. I will get some of the color that I use to paint the bluebells and forget-me-nots. Uh, and then you can cover a wooden ribbon on the toy next uh, cat's neck and paint it blue. So the riles disappeared, and by the time Claus had finished carving out the form of the cat, they were all black with the paints and the brushes. They made Blinky sit upon the table that Claus might paint the toy cat just the right color, and when the work was done, the riles declared it was exactly as good as a live cat. That is, to all appearances, added the red rile, Blinky, uh, seemed a little offended by the attention bestowed upon the toy, and that she might not seem to approve the imita imitation cat. I can say that word. She walked to the corner of the hearth and sat down with a dignified air. But Claus was delighted, and as soon as morning came, he started out and tramped through the snow, across the valley and the plain, until he came to a village. There, in a poor hut, near the walls of the beautiful palace uh, of Lord of Lurd, a little girl lay upon a wretched cot, moaning with pain. Claus approached the child and 
kissed her and comforted her. Creepy, he's a stranger. And then he drew the toy cat from beneath his coat, where he had hidden it and placed it in her arms. Ah, how well he felt himself repaid for burp his labor as long walk him, and he had saw the little one's eyes grow bright with pleasure. She hugged the kitty tight to her breast, as if it had been a, a precious gem. It would not let it go for a single moment. Fever was quieted, and the pain grew less, and she fell into a sweet, ah, and refreshing sleep. Claus laughed, ha ah, ah, and whistled, and sang all the way home. Never had he been so happy as on that day. When he entered his house, he found Shigra, the, the lioness, the milky lioness, awaiting him. Since his babyhood, Shigra had loved Claus, and while he dwelt in the forest, she had often come to visit him at Nasil's bower. After Claus had gone to live in the Laughing Valley, Shigra became lonely and ill at ease, and now she had braved the snowdrifts, which are all lions of horror. To see him once more, Shigra was getting cold, and her teeth were beginning to fall out. Oh, weird. That's weird. While the hairs that tipped her ears and tail had changed from tawny yellow to white, Claus found her lying on his hearth, and, and he put his arms around the neck of the lioness and, and hugged her lovingly. The cat had retired into a far corner, and she did not care to associate with Shigra. Claus told his old friend uh, about the cats that he had made and, and how much pleasure they had given Weakum and the sick girl. Shigra did not know much about children. Indeed, if she met a child, she could scarcely be trusted not to devour it. But she was interested in Claus' new labors and said... These uh, images seem to me very, uh, very attractive, yet I cannot see why you should make cats, which are very unimportant animals. Suppose now that I am here, I you may make the image of a, of a lioness, uh, the queen of all beasts. Then indeed your children will be happy and, uh, and safe at the same time. But Claus thought this was a good suggestion, so he got a piece of wood and sharpened his knife, and while Shigra crouched upon the hearth at his feet, with much care he carved the head in the likeness of the lioness, and even to his two fierce teeth that curved over her lower lip and the deep, frowning lines above her wide-open eyes. When it was finished, he said, Ah, you got a terrible look, Shigra. And then the image is like me, she answered, for I am indeed terrible to all who are not my friends. Claus now carved out the body with Shigra's long tail, uh, trailing behind it. The image of the crouching lioness was very lifelike. Yeah, it pleases me, said Shigra, yawning and stretching her body gracefully. Now I will watch while you paint. Oh, he brought the paints the Riles had given him from the cupboard and, and colored the image to resemble the real Shigra. Lioness placed her big, padded paws upon the edge of the table and raised herself while she carefully examined the toy that was her likeness. You are indeed skillful, she said proudly. The children yeah, will like that yeah, better than the cats, I'm sure. Then, snarling at Blinky, who arched her back in terror and whined fearfully, she walked away toward her forest home with stately strides. Well, let's take a break. And, uh, and reflect upon the fact that I'm 47 years old and single as hell. Uh, no one wants to date this pile of crap. So we're going to uh, pretend or do a little role play that I'm, I'm dating you. Oh, you've had a long day at work and my God, you just want to be alone for 10 damn minutes. But all of a sudden I come sliding up next to you on the couch with my wispy little legs tucked up underneath my beer gut and my uh, lack of chin and gullet flapping around as I bark at you about a, a new upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House Books called You Had Me at Hockey by Kelly Jameson. Can a spirited, down-to-earth influencer get an uptight hockey player out of his shell? Uh, it just says Josh, so I guess this is from his point of view. I am a warrior. That's been my motto since I recovered from a near-death accident when I was younger. Well, that's unfortunate. Now I enjoy my nice, settled life in Dallas, playing pro hockey. Uh, a boring life is better than, than being dead. 
But I'm not a party guy or an adventurer. I like my routine and peace and quiet. So being traded to New York is the worst possible change that could happen. And meeting unfiltered and fascinating Sarah Carrington throws my life into even more chaos. Then it says Sarah. I've been considered weird my whole life, which is why I'm still a virgin. (laughs) But I turned it into a career with my YouTube videos. Who do people would love watching me talk about my zits, uh, taste test meatless burgers, and try to learn TikTok dances? Ah, And now I'm launching a podcast. (laughs) This is so obnoxious. Getting hockey star Josh Heller as a guest will help gain listeners for sure. No, it won't. I expect a bearded jock with no teeth and nothing to say, but I got... Hot as H-E double hockey sticks grouch with a surprisingly dirty mind. (laughs) My mission is to make him laugh is successful. But I want to know why he's so uptight underneath that panty-dropping smile. (laughs) This is way dirtier than I thought it was going to be. Maybe I can teach Josh to have some fun, dot, dot, dot. Or maybe he could teach me a thing or two along the way, dot, dot, dot. USA Today best-selling author Kelly Jameson's epic Bears hockey series uh, can be read together or separately. Must love dogs. Dot 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 and hockey and you and you had me at hockey. So this author has written more than one hockey-themed romance novel. All right. Well, there's no reviews, so we'll just leave it at that. When does this turd come out? Oh, December eighth. Two days. Two days from today. I'm going to swoop in there and get that. The cover looks real snugly. Well, with that, let's get back into the story. Yeah. Well, uh, there's 12 parts to this uh, middle section. And uh, I don't think I'm going to read all of it. Why? Because I'm being selfish. Because it's my birthday. I'm freaking 47 years old. And crabby. So, I'll read a couple more segments here. Hopefully they're not long. And then I'm going to go eat dinner. And uh, watch HBO. And uh, and pet my cats. Because it's my birthday. Part 4. How little Mary, M-A-Y-R-I-E, became frightened. Oh, this isn't going to go good. The winter was over now, and all the Laughing Valley was filled with joyous excitement. Uh, The brook was so happy at being free once again that it burp-gurgled more boisterously than ever and dashed so recklessly against the rocks that it sent showers of spray high in the air. Well, the grass thrust sharp little blades upward through the mat of the dead stalks, where it had hidden from the snow, but the flowers were yet too timid to show themselves. <laughs> Although the riles were busy feeding their roots, the sun was in remarkably good humor and sent the rays dancing merrily throughout the valley. Claus was eating his dinner that somebody else made for him one day when he heard a timid knock on his door. Yeah, come in, he called. No one entered, but after a pause came another rapping. Claus jumped up and threw open the door, and before him stood a small girl holding a smaller brother fast by the hand. "'Is it you, Claus?' she asked shyly. "'Indeed I am, my dear,' he answered with a laugh as he caught both children in his arms and kissed them. "'Oh, God, and you are very welcome, and you have come just in time to share my dinner.' He took them to the table and fed them with fresh milk and nut cakes." And when they had eaten enough, he asked, uh, why, why have you made this long journey to see me? I wants a tat, <laughs> replied little Mary. And her brother, who had not yet learned to speak many words, nodded his head and exclaimed like an echo, a tat. Oh, you want my toy cats, do you? Returned Claus, greatly pleased to discover that his creations were so popular with the children. Little visitors nodded eagerly. Unfortunately, he continued, I have but one cat now ready, for I carried two children into town yesterday. Uh, And the one I have shall be given to your brother, Mary, because he is the smaller. And the next one I shall make for you. Uh, The boy's face uh, face was bright with smiles, and as he took the precious toy, Claus held out to him, and little Mary covered her face with her arm and began to sob grievously. I... 
I, I wants a t-t-tat now, she wailed. Little selfish kid. Her disappointment made Claus feel miserable for a moment. Then he suddenly remembered Shigra. Oh, don't cry, darling, exclamation point, he said soothingly. I have a toy as much nicer than a cat. You shall have that. He went to the cupboard and drew out the image of the lioness, which he placed on the table before Mary. Oh, the girl raised her arm and gave one glance at the fierce teeth and glaring eyes of the beast, and then, uttering a terrified scream, she rushed from the house. Oh, the boy followed her, also screaming lustily, and even dropping his precious cat in fear. For a moment, Claus stood motionless, being puzzled and astonished, and then he threw Shigra's image into a cupboard and ran after the children. Uh, this is getting real creepy. Calling to them not to be frightened. Little Mary stopped in her flight, and her brother clung to his skirt, but that both cast fearful glances at the house until Claus had assured them many times that the beast had been locked in the cupboard. Yet why were you frightened at seeing it? He asked. It is only a toy uh, to play with. It's bad, said Mary decidedly, and and just horrid, and not a bit nice, uh, like tats. She can say words like horrid pretty well, but not cat. Perhaps you're right, returned Claus thoughtfully, but if you will return with me the, to the house, I will soon make you a, a pretty cat. So they timidly entered the house again, having faith that their friend's words, and afterwards they had the joy of watching Claus carve out a cat from a bit of wood and paint it in the natural colors. And it did not take him long to do this, for he had become skillful with the knife by this time, and Mary loved her toy more dearly because she had seen it made. After his little visitors had trotted away on their journey homeward, Claus uh, sat long in deep thought, and he then decided that such fierce creatures as his friend the lioness would never do as models from which he could fashion his toys. There must be nothing to frighten the dear babies, he reflected, and while I know she grow well, I am not afraid of her. It is her natural, or it is natural, that uh, children should look upon her image with terror. Hereafter, I will choose such mild-mannered animals as squirrels, uh, uh, rabbits, uh, deer, and, uh, and lambkins, the hell's a lambkin? Is it just a lamb? Let's find out. Lambkin. A small or a young lamb. Well, there you go. I already knew the answer before I looked it up. From which to carve for my toys and for the little ones uh, will love rather than fear them. He began his work uh, that very day. Before bedtime, he had made a, a wooden rabbit and a lamb. Yeah, they were not quite so lifelike as the cats had been because they were formed from memory while Blinky had sat while still for claws while he, while he had worked. Uh, but the new toys uh, pleased the children nevertheless, and the fame of Claus's playthings quickly spread to every cottage on Plain and the village. Uh, he always carried with him gifts uh, to the sick or crippled children, but those who were strong enough walked to the house in the valley to ask for them, so a, a little path was soon worn from the from the plane to the door of the toy maker's cottage. First, the uh, children, uh, who had been playmates of Claus before he had began to make the toys, these, you may be sure, were well supplied. Uh, then children who lived further away heard of the wonderful images that made journeys to the valley to secure them. All little ones were welcome, and never a one went away empty-handed. This demand for his handiwork kept Claus busily occupied, but he was quite happy in knowing the pleasure he gave to so many of his dear children, his friends, the immortals were, uh, were pleased with his success and supported him bravely. The nooks selected for him clear pieces of soft wood. That his knife might not be blunted in cutting them, the Riles kept him supplied with paints of all colors and brushes fashioned from the tips of uh, Timothy Grasses. The fairies discovered that the workmen needed saws and chisels and hammers and nails as well as knives and brought him a goodly array of such tools. Claus soon turned his living room into a most wonderful workshop. Uh, he built a bench before the window and arranged his tools and paints so that he could reach everything as he sat on his stool. As he had uh, finished toy after toy to delight the hearts of the little children, he found himself growing so gay and happy that he could not refrain from, uh, eh, from singing and laughing and whistling all the day long. It is because I live in the Laughing Valley where everything else laughs, <laughs> said Claus. Yeah, but that was not the reason. Part 5. How Bessie Blithesome. Yeah, blithesome. 
came to the Laughing Valley. One day, as Claus sat before his door to enjoy the sunshine while he busily carved the head and horns of a toy deer, he looked up and discovered a glittering cavalcade of horsemen approaching through the valley. I'm sure the valley can't stand having all this traffic. When they drew near, he saw that the band consisted of a score of men at arms, clad in bright armor and bearing in their hands spears and battle axes. In front of these rode little Bessie Blythesome, the pretty daughter of the proud Lord of Lurd, who had once driven claws from his palace. Uh, her palfrey was pure white. Its bridle was covered with glittering gems, and its saddle draped with cloth of gold, uh, richly broidered. The soldiers were sent to protect her from harm while she journeyed. Claus, there, was surprised, but he continued to whittle and to sing until the cavalcade drew up before him. And then the little girl leaned over the neck of her palfrey and said, uh, uh, Please, Mr. Claus, uh, I want a toy. Well, she's going to get one because she's basically threatening him. This is a lot like people showing up at protests with, like, rifles and stuff. Her voice was so pleading that Claus jumped up at once, not from all the weaponry, and stood beside her, but he was puzzled how to answer her request. Uh, you are a rich lord's daughter, said he, and have all that you desire. Yeah, except toys, answered Bessie. There are no toys in all the world but yours. And I make them for the poor children who have nothing else to amuse them, answered Claus. And do poor children love to play with toys more than rich ones? asked Bessie. Nah, yeah, I suppose not, said Claus thoughtfully. Am I to blame myself that my father is a lord? Must I be denied the pretty toys I long for because the other children are poorer than I? Well, probably your life is easier than theirs. All they get is a toy and they don't eat, she inquired earnestly. I am afraid you must, dear, he answered, for the poor have nothing else uh, with which to amuse themselves. Yeah, they sit around playing with stones, they said in earlier chapters from the last episode. Uh, you have your pony to ride, your servants to wait on you, and every comfort that money can procure. Now, good for Claus, he pointed out what I just said. But I want toys, <laughs> cried Bessie, wiping away tears that forced themselves into her eyes. If I cannot have them, I shall be very unhappy. Yeah, Claus was troubled, uh, for her grief recalled to him the thought that his desire was to make uh, all children happy. Oh, this is where we start to see the downfall of Claus, where he suddenly starts pandering to rich people, without regard to their condition in life. Yet, while so many poor children were clamoring for his toys, he could not bear to give one of them to Bessie Blythesome, who had so much already to make her happy. Uh, uh, listen, my child said he gently. All the toys I am now making are promised to others, but the next shall be yours, since your heart so longs for it. Uh, uh, come to me again. Uh, uh, two days, and it shall be ready for you. Well, Bess gave a cry of delight, and leaning over her pony's neck, uh, she kissed Claus prettily upon his forehead. Then, calling her men-at-arms, she rode away gaily, leaving Claus to resume his work. If I am to supply... The rich children, as well as the poor ones, he thought. I shall not have a spare moment in the whole year, but it is right I should give to the rich. Yeah, surely I would just go to Nasil and talk with her about this matter. So when he had finished the toy deer, which was very like a deer he had known in the forest glades, he walked into Bursey and made his way to the bower of the beautiful nymph Nasil, who had been his foster mother. She greeted him ah, tenderly and lovingly and listened with interest to his story of the visit of Bessie Blythesome. And now, uh, uh, tell me, said he, shall I give toys to rich children? We of the forest know nothing of riches. Uh, it seems to me that one child is, uh, I don't know, like another child since they're all made of the same clay and that riches are like a, uh, like a gown which may be put on or taken away, leaving the child unchanged. But the fairies are guardians of mankind, and no mortal children better than I. Uh, let, us, uh, let us call the fairy queen. Now this was done, and the queen of the fairies sat beside him and heard Claus relate his reasons for thinking the rich children should get, get along without his toys, and also uh, what the nymph had said. Uh, the seal's right, declared the queen. 
uh, for whether it be rich or poor, a child's longings for pretty playthings are but natural. A rich Bessie's heart may suffer as much grief as a poor Mary's. Uh, she must be just as lonely and disconnected, and just as gay and as happy. I think uh, a friend Clause, it is your duty to make all little ones glad, whether they chance to live in palaces, uh, or in cottages. Yeah, your words are wise, fair queen, replied Claus, and my heart tells me that they are just as they are wise, and thereafter all children may claim my services. Then he bowed before the gracious fairy, and kissing the seal's uh, red lips, went back to the, that's creepy, back to the valley. I don't kiss adults on the lips. At the brook, he stopped to drink, and afterwards he sat on the bank and took a, a piece of moist clay in his hands while he thought uh, about what sort of toy he should make for Bessie Blyson. I did not uh, notice that his fingers were working the clay into a shape until, glancing downward, he found that he had unconsciously formed a head that bore the slight resemblance to the nymph the seal. At once he became interested, gathering more of the clay uh, from the bank. He carried it to the house, and then with the aid of his knife uh, and a bit of the wood, he succeeded in working the clay into the image of a, of a, of a toy nymph uh, with skillful strokes. He formed long, waving hair on the head and covered the body with a gown of uh, oak leaves, while the two feet sticking out the bottom of the gown were clad in sandals. But the clay was soft, and Claus found that he must handle it gently to avoid ruining his pretty work. Perhaps the rays of the sun ah, will draw out the moisture and cause the clay to become hard, he thought. So he laid the image on a flat board and placed it in the glare of the sun. This done, he went to his bench and began painting the toy deer, and soon he became so interested in the work that he forgot all about the clay nymph. The next morning... Uh, happening to notice that it lay on the board, he found the sun had baked it to the hardness of stone, and it was strong enough to be safely handled. Claus now painted the nymph with great care in the likeness of Nasile, giving it giving it deep blue eyes, ah, and white teeth, and rosy lips and ruddy brown hair. The gown he colored oak leaf green, and, and when the paint was dry, Claus himself was charmed with the new toy. Of course, it was not nearly so lovely. Uh, as the real Nasil. By considering the material of which it was made, Claus thought it was very beautiful. When Bessie, riding upon her, her white palfrey, came to his dwelling the next day, probably with all the people and uh, all the weaponry, Claus presented her with a new toy. Ah, the little girl's eyes were brighter than ever, and she examined the pretty image, and she loved it at once and held it close to her, close to her breast, as a mother does to a child. Uh, what is it called, Claus? she asked. Now Claus knew that nymphs do not like to be spoken of by mortals, so he could not tell Bessie it was the image of the seal he had given her, but it was a, a new toy. He searched his mind for a, a new name to call it by, and the first word he thought they could decide would, would do very well. Uh, it's called a... Uh, uh, Dolly, uh, my dear... He said to Bessie, I should call the dolly my baby, returned Bessie, kissing it fondly, and I shall tend to it and care for it just as a nurse cares for me. Thank you very much, Claus. Uh, your gift has made me happier than I have ever been before. Uh, she rode away, hugging the toy in her arms, and Claus, seeing her delight, thought that he would make a, another dolly better and more natural than the first. He, uh, I brought more clay from the brook, Remembering that Bessie had called the dolly her baby, he resolved to form this one uh, into a, a baby's image. That was no difficult task to the clever workman. As soon as the baby dolly was lying on the board and placed in the sun to dry, then with the clay that was left, he began to, to make an image of Bessie Blythesome herself. Well, this seems creepy. <laughs> Did Bessie approve this? It's like cloning. Well, this was not easy, for he found he could... Uh, not make the silken robe of the Lord's daughter out of the common clay. So he called the fairies to his aid and asked them to bring him colored uh, silks in which to make a real dress for the clay image. Uh, fairies set off at once on their errand, and before nightfall they returned with a generous supply of silks and laces and golden threads. Claus now became impatient to complete his new dolly, and instead of waiting for the next day's sun... He placed the clay image upon his hearth and covered it over with glowing coals, and by morning, when he drew the dolly from the ashes, it had baked as hard as it had laid in the 
full day in the hot sun. Now, the R Claus became a, a dressmaker as well as a toy maker. Ah, he cut the lavender silk and nearly sewed it into a beautiful gown uh, that just fitted the new dolly. And he put a lace collar around its neck and uh, pink silk shoes on its feet. And the natural color of baked clay is a, yeah, it's a light gray, but Claus painted the face to resemble the color of flesh. And he gave the dolly Bessie's brown eyes and uh, golden hair and, uh, and rosy cheeks. It was really a beautiful thing to look upon and sure to bring joy to some childish heart. And while Claus was admiring it, he, uh, I heard a knock at his door. Yeah, little Mary entered. And her face was sad and her eyes red and continued weeping. I, uh, that's grieved you, my dear, asked Claus, taking the child in his arms. Oh, always taking the child in his arms. I've... I've broke my tat, sobbed, uh, sobbed Mary. Uh, how? He inquired, his eyes twinkling. I, I dwopped him. <laughs> I broke, I can't believe I have to talk like this. And I broke off him's tail. And, and I dwopped him and broke off him's ear. And, and now him's all spoiled. Uh, Claus laughed. At her pain. Never mind, Mary dear, he said. How'd you like uh, this new dolly instead of a cat? The, what, made of clay? It's even more breakable than wood. Mary looked at the silk robe dolly, and her eyes grew big with astonishment. Oh, Claus, she said, clapping her small hands together with rapture. Ten I have a can I, ten I have at booful lady? Eh. Do you like it? He asked. Oh, I love it, said she. It's better in tats. Yeah, then take it, dear. Be careful not to break it. Mary took the dolly with a joy that was almost reverent, and her face dimpled with smiles and started along the path toward home. Well, I'm sick of reading. Uh, my voice has started to hurt. This is a long one. Uh, so, what happened in this story? Claus sets out on his own to start his own life, living like man. And doesn't have to do anything that man has to do, because everything's provided for him by immortals. His house is built for him, he's fed every day. He might as well just keep living in his mom's. He's not a man. Where's your independence? Where's your pride? You're coddled like a little baby. After that, since he has a lot of time to not think about things involving survival, he starts to, eerily enough, just think about kids all the time. And he's always out there, playing with other people's kids, and kissing them, and hugging them. And these parents don't seem to care, much like growing up in the 70s. When I was a kid, uh, we always had to learn about stranger danger which was a thing, but also probably not as prevalent as uh, you know, it was made to seem. But uh, yeah, parents just would say, what are you doing in the house? Get out of here. Go play outside. So you go play outside. And you get into a lot of trouble. And uh, things usually got lit on fire at some point or something got torn down. It, was, it wasn't good to let kids just go off uh, and do their own thing. But I did. And man, some of the horrible stuff I did as a child... I will never forget. But, uh, I knew not to talk to grown men, especially if they wanted to hug me or kiss me. I learned to stay away from them. I didn't learn it. It's new. Don't let that guy touch me. It's not my mom or my dad. Just like, get away from me. So, Claus does it, and the parents don't care for some reason. They're like, ah, oh, good, free babysitting. Uh, who cares what the end result may be? And then he starts making toys for him, because all he does in his free time is sit around and think about other people's kids. All the time. And so he starts making toys for him, and that's not alarming. Uh, the cat gets jealous, which is weird. And then uh, he just uh, keeps making it. Then all of a sudden he gets a, a conflict of a rich kid who has access to more than the poor kids do. Uh, wants a toy, too. So it comes to the conclusion that all kids are equal, which is very nice of him. And then uh, makes her a toy. Yeah, calls it Dolly, and uh, next thing you know, he's going to start pushing dolls on kids. 
So there's that. Uh, what's good about this? Uh, that a man with magical powers is capable of doing good for children. Uh, what sucks? That most people that think about kids on their free time, if they had magical powers, would not use that power for good because they're creepy people. What do we learn? Keep your kids away from strange men that want to pick them up and kiss them all the time and hug them. Nothing about that is normal or acceptable. Uh, unless it's a close family friend that you've vetted and know for years. And even then it's questionable. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to go have dinner and uh, watch Netflix or something. And, and then wake up early tomorrow because the furnace guys are going to come at 7 in the morning and they're going to take out the old furnace that's older than me and uh, replace it with a, a new energy-efficient furnace for $3,000 that I do not have. That's my birthday gift to myself. So, if anyone's listening, it's your birthday. Uh, try not to get depressed and try not to reflect on how you have the mind of a 20-year-old in the body of a 47-year-old. I don't care what age you are. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you in the next episode. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.